Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Serafina Albadri Nance will join us to discuss Starstruck. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. the Grox Science Show. Well, astrophysics, what do you do to become a scientist in the field? Joining us to discuss her journey is Serafina Albadri Nance. Ms. Nance is currently a doctoral student at UC Berkeley. She's an Egyptian-American astrophysicist, astronaut, author, science communicator. She has penned her new book, Starstruck, a memoir of finding light in the dark. Ms. Nance, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Well, it is certainly our pleasure. Certainly a great book you put together, a great memoir in which you talk about your journey and your interest in astrophysics. I'm curious uh, why you decided to put the book together. Thank you. Yeah, I fell in love with the night sky when I was five years old. I used to stargaze with my dad every night. I would listen to Stardate radio on NPR on the way to school. And I really thought, even at that young age, that I wanted to devote my life to learning about the night sky, whether that was becoming an astronomer or an astronaut or some hybrid of the two. So that really carried me forward through my undergraduate, studying physics and astronomy, and then through my graduate career, um, getting my PhD in astrophysics. And through my journey, I recognized that I was one of the only women, especially the only woman of color in my science classes. And book is my coming of age story as a woman and person of color finding my place in science and on a medical journey that I never saw coming. In my life and on my journey as an underrepresented minority, I really encountered my fair share of gatekeepers. And I wanted to look at what it means to pursue one's dreams anyway. Ultimately, I had to learn to become my own best advocate. But as part of that, in, in the book, I wanted to be really honest about the joys, but also the heartbreak, because it's taken both to get here. And so even though I felt alone on my journey, I want to help others know that they're not alone. Did you find the obstacles actively placed or institutional barriers? You know, I think there's both. I definitely experienced explicit obstacles. So very first time I met an astronomer, I was at science camp in fifth grade. And I ran up to him really excited to share that I wanted to become an astronomer when I grow up. And he turned around and looked at me and said, this is not for someone like you. So that messaging actually continued through various people throughout my childhood, into adolescence and through college. I even had, you know, female teachers say girls just aren't good at math. And that messaging compounds over time. And then, of course, you add in the institutional barriers 
and the systematic ways in which underrepresented minorities are dissuaded and actively pushed out of fields in STEM. And it makes carving out a place for yourself and surviving in a STEM field extraordinarily challenging. Do you find that, that it is changing to some degree? Do you see that it's still very much entrenched field? You know, I do think it's changing. I think the advent of social media representation is more accessible than ever to see people like you in these places and fields. But on the other hand, I mean, you still have devastating stories. I was just reading headlines earlier this weekend of the Black physician rate that are committing suicide is just staggering. And you wonder why that is. And it's really these places are not safe for, you know, people of color and marginalized folks to exist and to thrive. And I think it's, it's incrementally changing, but there is a lot of work to be done. And if we're going to be honest about wanting diversity and equity in these fields, we need to really make sure that these spaces are safe, accessible places where people can not just survive, but thrive. Who have you found through your journey that have been positive mentors, those that have helped you along your way, and what have you learned from those experiences? You know, my dad is probably my my number one uh, mentor and hero. He, you know, used to do math and physics problems with me when I was a kid and would reread all my essays and edit, edit them. And he really instilled in me this notion that I can do whatever I set my mind to and reach for the stars. And who knew that, you know, I would literally one day try to try to reach for the stars, but he's someone who I admire greatly and I wouldn't be here without my research advisors in both undergraduate and graduate school have been phenomenal. I have been so lucky to have teachers, my high school astronomy teacher, Frank Mikan. He, um, I mean, he would set aside time with me all the time, like every week to chat through what I was struggling with in physics and what I was interested in. And that care and compassion and time deliberately spent with young people trying to help them succeed and pursue their dreams, I absolutely attribute where I am today to all of them. So I think finding a community and finding mentors that help encourage you and provide opportunities for you is really necessary to survive in STEM. You've done your part in terms of helping the next generation. You're active in communicating science. That's my hope. That is that is why I do it. That's why I advocate. That's why I, I prioritize science communication. You know, I, I try to be the woman that young Serafina would have wanted to see when she was falling in love with astronomy and with the night sky. You know, I looked up to Carl Sagan, who's amazing, but I didn't have anyone who looked like me. And so I think representation is hugely important when we, you know, encourage the next generation of some folks to hopefully find their place in this field. What is it about astrophysics though, that really fascinates you at the moment? What do you think are the big areas where, you know, astrophysics is now beginning to probe the nature of the cosmos? Well, I'm particularly interested in exploding stars, also known as supernova. I started out by looking at which stars explode as supernova and specifically trying to figure out when Betelgeuse, a red supergiant star, 10, 20 times the mass of our sun, will explode as a supernova. 
And now I've sort of shifted my research focus to be more specifically using supernova as tools to measure the rate of the expansion of the universe. And that's something that really excites me because we don't really understand, we don't have a good grasp on how fast the universe is expanding and the implications of which could be felt through our standard model of physics, could implicate the fate of the universe, the composition of the universe. So there's a lot of exciting implications that I'm intrigued by and look forward to learning more about. I think everybody is constantly amazed now by the constant stream of images coming out of the Webb Space Telescope. Continue to challenge a lot of what we think of the standard model of galaxy formation, star formation, and things that seem to be occurring a lot earlier than we thought. What's your take on that? No, I, I, I think you said it best. The data that James Webb Space Telescope is providing astronomers right now is unlike anything we've ever seen before. And we are learning so much so quickly about the early universe and about galaxy formation and the earliest stars. And I'm particularly excited to see those first supernova that ever existed in the universe. And what's, what's so great about the James Webb Space Telescope is those images are accessible in the sense that they are so beautiful and mind-blowing for non-astronomers too. You know, anybody can look at that image and think how cool it is that we get to see that. So for me, that's another testament to the accessibility of astronomy and how important it is that we as scientists communicate what is so cool and fantastic about those images. Were there particular events where it really said, wow, this is really the field that I want to pursue for my career? I think I've always known deep down that this is something that I wanted to do. It was less of a light bulb moment of me deciding to commit to astronomy. And it was more of every math and, and physics class that I took where I struggled and I wondered if I was capable to do this. I would go to the night sky and I would look up and I would gain the sense of perspective and remind myself of why I'm doing this, why I am pushing myself to do math and physics that I feel like is very difficult. And when I reminded myself of that, I knew that I was on the right path. Gone to a Mars astronaut simulation in Hawaii. What's your impressions about that? And do you think there's a future for the human species? You know, I, yeah, so I was very lucky to take part in a Mars analog astronaut simulation where I lived as though I was on Mars for two weeks on a remote volcano in Hawaii. And I did research on supernova. I lived with a crew of five people. We had rationed food and water and experienced Martian time delays on all communications. We did spacewalks and it was, it was incredible. I mean, it was really such a special experience and something that I'm really grateful to have had because I know that that's something that I definitely want to pursue in terms of hopefully one day becoming an astronaut. In terms of us potentially going to Mars, I try to steer clear of language that is around colonization. I think we are 
visitors to another planet. And I hope that we can to the moon in 2024, where we'll orbit the moon and send the first woman and black man around the moon, which is going to be very exciting. And I can't wait to watch that happen. And then the next step might be Mars. And I think we have a lot of room to grow in terms of making that a comfortable experience or something that benefits all of humanity, but it's certainly really exciting. And I think we're in the the era of space exploration. We just really need to be equitable about it. We need to think deeply about who gets to take part in these missions and how we can continue to try to protect our planet as we do so. A lot of private industry becoming involved in space. Those might be the ones that are gatekeepers, if you will, to be in space and making those journeys. Yeah, I think there's discussions to be had about how we can do this ethically, how we can make sure that we the carbon emissions from space launches are, are huge. And so how can we, if we're serious about trying to protect our planet, I think we need to have serious dialogues about how we can do so and also reach out into the stars. So I really, I hope to be part of those conversations moving forward and, and, and hope that others have those conversations too. What would you like your advice to be for those uh, broad messages that you would have for in terms of overcoming the obstacles? Yeah, I think I've, I've confronted my fair share of gatekeepers and have had to push down doors to get to pursue my dreams. And that has been a really difficult and painful process that I still have scars from. But I chose to keep going anyway because of how much I loved the night sky and how passionate I was. And at the end of the day, what got me through was a deep sense of curiosity and awe. I love, I love feeling small. I love asking questions about the universe. Feeling small makes me feel connected to the universe, to myself, and to everyone on Earth. So my hope is to provide that sense of belonging and connection to readers and ultimately share that you are your own best advocate. Nobody can take that away from you. We were just talking with Ms. Serafina Albadri Nance. Her new book, Starstruck, a memoir of finding light in the dark. Ms. Nance, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you so much for having me. It was great chatting with you. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.